Tonight we are beginning a brand new teaching series called Strongholds. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to tackle um, just some, honestly, really challenging topics. And uh, the the topics that we're going to cover over the next few weeks, uh, most of these we've never really addressed on a Wednesday night in really like a a really in-depth way. Um, But I really believe that this series over the next four weeks has the the, the potential to be the most impactful series um, that we do all year. And, and I don't say that lightly. I'm not the guy always hyping up the next series. This is going to be the best series ever. Like, I don't typically use that kind of language, but I really believe that this series has the potential to be the most impactful one uh, of this entire year. Um, and tonight, as we kind of uh, kick this series off, we're going to talk about what's just a, a really kind of heavy and, and, and pretty weighty topic. And I recognize that for, for a lot of you in this room, uh, this topic isn't really going to apply uh, to kind of the, the, the stage of life you're in or, or kind of what you're experiencing right now. Uh, but for some people in this room, I would say, you know, maybe a third of the people in this, this room, uh, tonight's message may be very impactful for them. I think it's a, a, an important message for them to hear. So I would just ask that you not be a, stra- a distraction tonight to the people around you. Because there's some people in here tonight who really need to hear this message. So as we begin this new series, let me kind of start by uh, describing and defining what a stronghold actually is. You might hear that and be like, what, what, what's a stronghold? Well, in ancient times, back in like Bible times, medieval times, a stronghold was a fortress that a city would build on the highest peak in, in the city. A fortress on the highest peak in the city, and they would typically surround the, uh, the, the fortress with walls that were 20 feet thick. And it was kind of the, the safest and most secure place in the entire city because it was nearly impossible for an enemy to get inside the walls and to get inside the, the fortress, to get inside the, the stronghold. So in times of war, what cities would do is they would hide their political leaders, the king, the president, whatever it was that was kind of ruling their, their city, they would hide them inside the stronghold. And during the entire battle, all the fighting, all the war, the political leaders would stay there in the stronghold and just kind of ride it out. So the only way to really defeat a city was to defeat the stronghold. You had to get inside the wall. You had to tear down the stronghold to really defeat them. Because if an enemy kind of devastated the city but didn't get inside the stronghold, as soon as they would leave, the political leaders would come back out and rebuild the city. You had to destroy the stronghold in order to win the war. And you see, just like these these ancient strongholds, there are spiritual strongholds as well. And these spiritual strongholds are what we're going to talk about during this series. And a spiritual stronghold, it's a place where a false belief or a false idea is strongly defended. It's a mental or emotional space in our life that is controlled by our spiritual enemy, Satan. And these strongholds, these spiritual strongholds, they typically begin with some kind of wound or some kind of hurt or some kind of disappointment. And on this vulnerable foundation where we've been wounded or we've been hurt, our enemy, Satan, he comes and he begins to construct a wall around this wound, around this hurt. And this spiritual stronghold is formed. And over time, what happens is this stronghold, it really becomes a part of our life. 
Like we just learn to live with it. Sometimes we stop even, even noticing it, but what begins to happen is as we begin to learn to live with this stronghold, our enemy, our spiritual enemy, he continues to build and strengthen the wall around it. And he builds and constructs this wall with false ideas and lies, lies that distort the truth, lies that distort reality. And it gets to the point where it's nearly impossible for us to tear down this spiritual stronghold in our life. And what we see is that many people, they carry around these spiritual strongholds in their life, sometimes for years, sometimes for for, for decades. And the enemy, he has control in their life. And these strongholds, what they end up doing is they really become a, a prison. They prevent people from moving forward in their faith. They keep people from having healthy relationships in their life. These strongholds, they wreak havoc on their life. And the Apostle Paul, he talks about this very idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to what what Paul writes. This is kind of going to be our our theme verses for this series. He says, for though we live in the world, we're flesh, we're bones, we're human, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the divine power. They have God's power to demolish these spiritual strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. He's talking about lies and false beliefs that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Here, Paul is telling us that we are fighting a war, but it's a different kind of war than the wars that we see in our world. It is a spiritual war. It's a battle that's going on in our minds. It's a battle that is going on inside of our hearts. And in order for us to tear down these strongholds in our life, Paul says that we have to lean into God's power. We have to lean into supernatural divine power. We have to give God access to the darkest places in our hearts, to the darkest places in our minds, and we have to allow him to get to the root of the stronghold so that he can combat these false lies and these false beliefs with his truth. So tonight, as we kick off this series, what I want to talk about tonight is the strongholds that are built on the family wounds that we suffer the strongholds that our enemy builds and constructs around the family wounds that that we suffer. You know, family, it brings about a lot of different emotions for all of us. Uh, For many of you in here, family is a source of uh, of love, a source of joy, uh, a source of security in your life. And you have a great relationship with your parents. You have a great relationship with your siblings. And obviously there's, there's struggles, there's issues in, their, in your family. There's no perfect family out there. But for the most part, your family is healthy and functional. You look at your family and you consider your family to be a blessing and a gift in your life. You wouldn't trade places with any other, any, anybody else. But for some of you, that has not been your experience. You have not grown up in a healthy and functional family unit. And for you, family has has been a place that is is chaotic and dysfunctional and broken and, and messy, and you've never had that stable family unit in your life. Or maybe for some of you, you grew up with that healthy family, you grew up with that functional family, but somewhere along the way, something changed. 
things went sideways, that family you once had, it, it, it's, it's been lost. And now rather than being a source of, of love and joy and security, your family has become a source of hurt and pain and distrust in your life. But you see, regardless of your family experience, whether your family experience has been healthy and functional or if it's been messy and dysfunctional, here's what we all need to understand. The family unit of mom and dad and kids, brothers and sisters, the family unit, it was designed and established by God. And it was created by God to be a blessing in our life, to be a gift in our life. In fact, in the very beginning of the creation account, listen to what we find in Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and small animals that scurry along the ground. So he created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He established and created the family. And then it says this, then God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Grow your family, expand your family. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. You see, the family, it was and it is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes in the world. Like, the family was God's plan A. The family was God's plan for, for, for discipleship. That a husband and wife would live together, that they would raise their kids in, 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 in a single household and they would teach their kids what it looks like to, to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to follow Jesus. The family was God's plan to carry out his message and his mission. As a family unit lives on mission in the neighborhood they live in and the, the schools they go to and their workplace, they carry out the message of Jesus. And the family unit, it's supposed to be a picture of God's love and God's grace towards us. Like the way a husband and wife treat each other, the way they love and, and raise their kids, the way kids respect and obey their parents is supposed to be a picture of God's love and God's grace for us. The family unit, it was designed and established by God for his purposes. But here's the problem. Satan knew that. And his primary strategy has been to attack and destroy the family unit. Since the beginning of time, that has been his primary strategy, to attack and destroy the family unit. And right after the creation account, what we see happen is the enemy, he comes and he drives a wedge between Adam and Eve, between this family. And when sin enters into the world, it creates conflict and dysfunction and brokenness in this family unit. And just a couple chapters later, we see Cain murder Abel. Adam and Eve's children, one of them murders the other, and the family is permanently broken and fractured from that point forward. And you see, Satan has not changed his strategy at all. His strategy today is still to attack and to destroy the family. And he does this a number of ways. He does this by creating division between parents. He does this by destroying marriages through divorce. He does this by creating a conflict between parents and, and their children. He does this by using tragedies that we face to tear apart a family. 
and unfortunately, he has been very successful in his strategy. I mean, you look around in our country, you look around in our, in our world, you look around in our church, and you see broken families left and right. Satan has attacked those families, and he's been successful. And maybe this has been your experience. Maybe your family has been broken by, by divorce. One of your, your, your parents left, or, or your parents agreed to kind of separate. Maybe this happened when you were young and it's the only thing you've ever really known. Maybe this happened recently and it's really changed your family dynamic, but now you're in this constant turmoil and tension as you're navigating two different homes, two different families. You're, you're, you're trying to make sense of, of step-parents and step-siblings and how to manage all that, but your family, it has been broken, it has been divided. Or maybe you have a damaged relationship with one of your parents. Like your mom or your dad, they said something to you that has deeply wounded you. Or maybe your, your, your parents have, have broken your trust. Or maybe one of your parents has, has walked out on, on your family. And you're not sure if that relationship is ever going to be healthy again. You're not sure how that relationship can ever recover. Or maybe your family has, has experienced some kind of tragedy. There's, there's been a, a, a death in your, in your family, an unexpected death of a parent, a sibling, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle. Maybe there's been some kind of medical diagnosis in your family that's just rocked your family. And just the, the, the stress and the emotion and the weight of that tragedy, it is slowly tearing your family apart. Your family is still together, but it's not the same. It's not what it was before. But here's what happens. Anytime we suffer one of these family wounds, whether it's divorce, a broken relationship, some kind of tragedy, our enemy, Satan, he attacks and he preys on that vulnerability. And he begins to, to build a stronghold around that wound. And that stronghold is constructed with lies and false beliefs. And it begins to distort reality and truth in our life. And we begin to believe different kind of lies. Lies like, it was my fault they got a divorce. I, I, I know it was me. I know I'm the reason my parents split up. Lies like, man, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm unlovable. I'm, I, I'm damaged. I must be the reason my family is so messed up and, and so jacked up. Lies like, I'm, I'm never going to be able to trust somebody ever again. After my, my parent broke my trust, after I've seen what's happened to my family, I'm never going to be able to trust somebody. I'm never going to be able to have a healthy relationship again. Lies like, man, no one understands what I'm going through. No one understands the pain I'm facing. No one understands what I deal with at home. There's no one I can talk to, no one who understands. And lies like, man, God just must not love me. God must not care about me. Like, how could God allow this to happen to my family? How could God allow this to happen to one of my parents? God must not care or God just must not be in control. But these strongholds, they begin to take control of our life. These lies start to become our reality. They manipulate our thoughts and our emotions. And that family wound that we suffer, it's never able to properly heal. And we end up becoming a prisoner of that stronghold. 
You know, the, the Bible is full of dysfunctional and jacked up families. Um, in fact, if you, if you kind of look through the Bible, you would be hard pressed to find any kind of sense of a normal family. Like these families have serious issues uh, and, and serious problems. Um, and tonight, for the next few minutes, what I want us to do, I want us to look at the story of a guy named, named Joseph. Um, and Joseph suffered some serious family wounds, but he was able to process and deal with his wounds in a way that brought healing to his life and brought redemption to his story. So we're going to look at Joseph's life tonight, and, and before we do, I need to kind of give you a little bit of backstory on, on Joseph's life, because it really helps make sense of, of his whole story. And, and you may be familiar with some of this story, but for some of you, this is going to be brand new. So Joseph had a dad named Jacob. Joseph's dad was Jacob, and Jacob came from his own kind of dysfunctional and broken family. When he was probably a, a teenager, uh, maybe like 20 years old, he lied to his dad and deceived his brother and stole the birthright. He stole kind of the, the inheritance from his family. And when he lied and deceived, it kind of broke that family up. There was conflict and strife uh, for the rest of their lives. So, so Jacob, he leaves his family, he's stolen this birthright, and he ends up meeting this guy who's going to eventually become his future father-in-law. And just like Jacob deceived his dad and his brother, his future father-in-law ends up deceiving him. And through a kind of a crazy turn of events, Jacob ends up married to two women who are sisters. One named Rachel, one named Leah. And here's what you need to understand. Rachel was cute and Leah was a little busted. Jacob really loved Rachel. He was really into her. He was all about it. Leah, he's kind of like, mm, no thanks. But we're kind of stuck together. But here's, here was the problem. Leah was able to have children and Rachel wasn't. So the wife that he loves was unable to have children. The wife he wasn't that into was able to have children. And Leah begins to, to have children for, for Jacob. And of course, you can imagine how, how jealous Rachel was of this. She began to, to resent her sister. So she starts to, to get desperate. She has her servant, kind of their, their household servant, sleep with her husband so that she can become pregnant and give her a child. Like, it's that level of crazy. Like, you might have dysfunction in your family, probably not like this. So Rachel's servant has this baby, and Leah sees what's happening, and she's like, this is a competition. I got to keep up. She takes her servant, and she has a baby with Jacob. So now Jacob has a baby with Leah and with the two servants. There's this constant competition back and forth. But eventually, Rachel ends up conceiving, and she gives birth to a son named Joseph. And in total, Jacob has 12 sons with four different women. 12 sons, four different women. I'm telling you, messed up, dysfunctional. But one of his sons, a guy named Joseph, he loved the most. He was by, by far his favorite. And, and I'm sure I, at your house and your family, you feel like there's a, a favorite sibling uh, that kind of gets away with everything or you know, gets the, the, the new car, the new iPhone, and you feel like, man, I'm always kind of backseat. This was the same kind of situation. But here's the thing. Jacob didn't even try to hide it. 
Like if you ask Jacob, hey, who's your favorite kid? It's not like, well, they're all my favorite. No, Joseph's my favorite. He doesn't even try to hide it. And he makes this expensive coat for, for his son Joseph. And you might be like, oh, who cares about a coat? Imagine this, like your parents come home with the, the Travis Scott Jordan 1s for your sister, and then they tell you, hey, we'll go shopping at Payless later today to get your, your sh- shoes for school. You'd be like, seriously? Like favoritism? But this is what Joseph had. He's given this elaborate coat, and Joseph is just flaunting it in front of his brothers. Hey, look at me. Aren't I a big deal? Our dad loves me more than they love you. And he's just rubbing it in their face. And you can imagine they probably are beginning to to resent him. Like this kid gets everything he wants. Our dad clearly loves him more than, than he loves us. But their resentment grows to this level where they decide, you know what, we're gonna kill him. We're gonna kill him. So one day they're out in the, in the wilderness. Joseph meets them out there and they, they kind of beat him up. They rough him up and they throw him in this ditch and just are like, hey, we're just gonna leave him there to die. Good, good luck, Joseph. But as they're kind of sitting there processing what to do, there's these slave traders who kind of come caravanning by. They're headed to Egypt, and one of the brothers comes up with this idea. You know what? Let's try to get something out of this. And they end up selling him as a slave to these slave traders, take the money for their brother, and then they go home to their parents and tell their dad that he was killed by a wild animal. They end up getting blood on on the robe and trying to stage this entire thing. So here's Joseph, a teenager, and he has been sold into slavery by his own family, by his brothers. He's headed to a country where he knows nobody, to a place where he doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the culture. He's never going to see his family or see his home again. And I just want you to imagine like how he's feeling in this moment. Like the, the emotions and the thoughts that must have been going through, through his mind. Like the sense of betrayal. Like he knew he was a difficult brother. He knew he was a little brat. But being sold into slavery, like that seems a little harsh. Like how betrayed he would have felt by his brothers. The, the, the anger and the frustration. Like my, I, I'm never going to see my family again. I'm never going to see my parents again. I can't believe my brothers did this to me. The incredible hurt. Just how, how, how that would have hurt him. I mean, talk about a family wound. Like, how do you ever recover from that? How do you ever move forward in life and have any kind of normal life after being sold into slavery by your very own family? But Joseph, he, he ends up in Egypt as a slave. And it's this crazy story through these crazy events, Joseph ends up becoming the number two guy in all of Egypt. Like, other than the Pharaoh, he, he's it. He's the top, the top dog. He's kind of like the vice president of Egypt. And as he's getting into this position as the number two guy in Egypt, there's this massive famine that goes throughout all the land, meaning that there is, there is no food, no crops, nothing to eat. And his brothers, the guys who sold him into slavery, they end up traveling to Egypt to try to find food, to try to buy food just so they can survive. And they end up in front of Joseph, trying to buy food. And Joseph, he immediately recognizes them. 
I mean, they're all together. He, he knows this is them, but they don't recognize him. I mean, 20 years have gone by. He looks completely different. He's speaking a different language. He's dressed different. They have no idea it's him. But here are his brothers, the guys who sold him into slavery, and you would think, man, this is your opportunity. This is your chance to get revenge, to give them what they have coming. I mean, what, what an incredible opportunity. God has served them to you on a silver platter, wiped them out, make them pay for what they did to you. You're the number two guy in all of Egypt. I want you to listen to how Joseph responds after this family wound, the years of, of, of suffering, the, the frustration, the anger, the conclusion that he came to, his response to his brothers. Listen to what it says in Genesis 45. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer because they were terrified at his presence. Like they realized, holy cow, he's alive. We're in serious trouble. Now listen to what happens next. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold in Egypt. And they're thinking, it is, it is all over. And now, do not be distressed. Don't be worried. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then listen to kind of the, 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 the kind of summary of everything that he went through, the, the conclusion that Joseph came to in Genesis 50. Just let this, it, it blows my mind. Listen to what he says. He says, you brothers, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You, know, you, you read this and you think, what? Like, seriously, you intended to, to harm me, but God meant it for, for good? Like, Joseph, how could you possibly come to a conclusion like that? Like, how are you able to, to get there? How are you able to, to, to make peace with your brothers and be able to forgive them after they sold you into slavery? Here's how Joseph got there. Here's how he came to this conclusion. Joseph, he had to view his wound, his brokenness, his situation through the lens of God. He had to understand that there was something bigger at work that there was a greater story being written and that his story, even though it was painful and difficult, his story was a part of a greater story. And rather than allowing his, his brokenness and this wound to, to define his life and to become a stronghold in his life, he allowed God to define his brokenness and to redeem it. What was meant to harm him, what was meant to wound him, God intended to use for good. Joseph was able to take a step back from his situation, his brokenness, his story, and realize God is doing something greater here. God is piecing it all together. My story is a part of a greater story. Listen, I, I know that for many of you, you have suffered some kind of family wound whether it's been divorce in your family, 
whether it's been a, a broken relationship, whether it's been some kind of tragedy in your family. And listen, the enemy, Satan, he has intended to harm you. He is trying to knock you out of the game. He wants to trap you in a prison of lies, and he wants this wound that you've experienced to define your life and to become a stronghold, where you're never able to really heal from it and move forward with your life. But students, if if that's you, here's what you need to understand. God wants to redeem your story and that situation. He wants to redeem that, that brokenness and that dysfunction in your life. He wants to rescue you from it and to make it right. But in order for that to happen, in order for God to redeem your story, to redeem your situation, you have to begin to look at your situation through the lens of God. You have to realize that there is something bigger and greater at work, that God is piecing your story together that God is growing you, that God is maturing you, that God is, is refining you and shaping you. What the enemy meant to harm you, to knock you out, God has intended for your good. Listen, I, I recognize that tonight's message, this, this story from the Bible, that it's not going to fix your family problems that, that you're in. That, that tonight's message isn't gonna be able to re- resolve the, the situation that you, you find yourself in. But as we kind of wrap up tonight, what I wanna do is I just wanna give you some, some very practical steps that you can take to begin this, this healing process if you've suffered one of these, these family wounds. So you can begin to, to get to the root of that stronghold in your life and begin to, to tear it down. So three simple things that you can kind of take away for the night. The first one is this, is that you need to acknowledge it. You need to acknowledge it. You know, there's a tendency for us to try to ignore our wounds, to pretend like it, it didn't happen or to act like it, it doesn't bother us. We try to, you know, push it to the side. We try to forget about it. We try to bury it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to deal with it. It's like, no, 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 like that's, that's painful. It's messy. That hurt. I don't want to deal with it. But if you ever want to begin the healing process in your life, you have to acknowledge it. Like you have to be honest with yourself. You have to, to admit that it has hurt you, that it has wounded you, that, that it bothers you, and you have to face it head on, as painful and as messy as it may be. And you have to really ask yourself some, some tough questions, questions like, man, why don't I wanna deal with this? Like, why have I been running away and resisting and pretending like it, it doesn't bother me? Questions like, how has this impacted my life? Like, how has this impacted how I I feel and how I think? What are some of the the false beliefs that I've started to develop because of this wound? You have to begin by acknowledging it, by facing it head on. But then number two, you have to talk about it. It's not enough just for you to acknowledge that there's a problem. You have to start talking about it. Listen, there, there is such a danger when we try to bottle everything up, when we try to, to deal with everything on, on, on our own, 
And if that's been you, you you've been pushing it to the side, you, you're just trying to, to keep people out of it, you need to start a conversation about it. You need to get what's in your mind and in your heart out to somebody else. And maybe that for, for, for you that means that you need to go and you need to talk with a, a counselor or a therapist. And listen, there's nothing embarrassing or shameful about needing to go to, to a professional to kind of help you unpack what's in your mind and what's in your heart. For some of you, you may need to go home and you need to open up to, to one of your parents. Maybe it's one of your other parents that, is, that has hurt you, that has wounded you, and you need to go to, to your other parents or to an older sibling and, and open up to them and begin to talk about what's going on inside. Maybe for you it's a, it's a church leader, me or Morgan or John or one of your small group leaders, but you need to begin talking to somebody. You need to begin processing out loud what is going on inside of you. You need to acknowledge it. You need to talk about it. And then finally, number three, you need to process it. You need to allow yourself to go through the grieving process. Listen, we don't just grieve when someone dies. We grieve anytime we lose something of value to us. And some of you, you may need to grieve the loss of a family. You had that healthy, functional family, and it has been broken beyond repair. And what you imagined as what your family should be is now gone, and you need to grieve that loss. Some of you, you may need to grieve the loss of a relationship in your life. There has been a relationship, maybe a parent or a sibling, and permanent damage has been done. Like it, it may never go back to how it was before, and you need to grieve the loss of that relationship, and that was so important to you. Some of you, you may need to grieve the loss of, of a person, a parent, a sibling, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, and they're no longer in your life, they're no longer here on earth, and you need to grieve that loss. And listen, whether you're grieving a, a death or a divorce or a broken relationship, there are different stages to this grieving process. There's the shock. Like, I, I can't believe what just happened. I, I can't believe my parents just split up. I can't believe my parent just left. I can't believe this person just died. I can't believe we just got this diagnosis. There's just the, the shock of it. There's the denial. This, this can't be real. This can't be happening. There, there's no way that this is my life right now. There's the, the guilt. Man, did I cause this? Was this my fault? Could I have done something different? There's the anger where you begin to develop bitterness and resentment towards that person who has hurt you or who's hurt your family. There's the depression where you just lose hope. You don't wanna get out of bed. You don't wanna go to school. You don't wanna do anything. There's the acceptance where you kinda come to, to realize this is my new reality. But if you're, you're, you're in that grieving process, you need to allow yourself to feel and to experience those emotions. You need to cry when you feel like crying. You need to be angry when you feel like being angry. You need to feel sad when, when, when you're overwhelmed. Listen, healing, it's a process. It takes time, it's messy, it's painful, and there isn't one specific way to heal. It's not like, hey, do these five things and you'll be over it. You'll be good to go. Everyone grieves 
and heals in their own unique way. And you need to allow that grieving process to take place in your life. And listen, over time, by acknowledging, by talking, by processing through time, over time, wounds heal. They really do, wounds heal. But wounds always leave a scar. Like when you suffer, when you suffer a family wound, it's not something you ever get over. It's not something that you just forget about one day. It's something that you learn to live with. And you will carry that, that scar from that wound for the rest of your life. But that wound, it doesn't need to define your life. It doesn't need to become a stronghold in your life. You can experience healing from the deepest wounds that you suffer. Today um, is the anniversary of when my dad passed away. That was uh, 14, 14 years ago. And even though it was, it was years ago, it still, it still impacts me today. Like I still face the effects of it in, in my life. Um, and it's not something that I'm over. Like I know I'm gonna carry the, the scar of that, of that wound for, for the rest of my life. But that wound, it's healed. It was, a, it was a process, it was, it was a journey, it was messy at times, it was painful, I had to, to acknowledge it, I had to talk about it a lot, I had to process all the different emotions, and I've been able to find true healing through Jesus. And I've been able to, to see my life through the lens of God, I've been able to see how my story is just a small piece of a greater story and God is piecing all these things together. What was intended to harm me, God has used for good in my life. And if that's you tonight, you, you've been wounded through divorce, a broken relationship, some kind of tragedy in your life, my, my prayer, my hope for you tonight is that you would begin to allow God to heal you, to begin that painful and messy work of healing that, that wound in your life. And that months from now, years from now, you would be able to step back and say, just as, as, as Joseph did, what was intended to harm me, God has used for my good. So tonight, as we kind of wrap up, we're gonna worship, we're gonna sing, and um, as we do, I just wanna ask everybody as you worship to just stay, stay in your pews as you sing, and I just wanna open up the front here for any of you who feel like you just, tonight you need, need to come and pray. You need to come to God kinda as your way of saying, God, I, I'm ready for this healing process to begin. I'm, I'm ready to acknowledge, I'm ready to talk about it, I'm ready to, to begin processing it, God, I know this is gonna be messy. I know this is gonna be painful, but I'm ready for that process to, to begin. So I'm gonna pray here. We're gonna continue to, to sing. And I just wanna invite any of you to, to just come to the front.
and to use this time to, to bring that wound before God and to ask for him to begin that process in your life. God, we thank you that we can bring you the, the messiest situations in our life, the brokenness, the dysfunction, and God, that you can take what was intended to harm us and to use it for our good. That you grow us, that you mature us. God, that you give us a story worth telling. And Lord, I pray for any student in here tonight who has come in just broken by what they're facing at home. God, that they wanna ignore it anymore or push it to the side or run from it, but tonight would be the night they face it head on, that they bring that to you that they begin to acknowledge it and talk about it and begin to allow that healing process to start in their life. God, we thank you that you are a God who draws near to the brokenhearted. Thank you for your love and your grace and your peace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.